0: So at the end of the book of Acts, no, no, let's talk about John first. We're going to talk about Acts. This is a little intro talking about John. The gospel of John, two thirds of it is three years of Jesus's life. And the last third of the gospel of John is a week of Jesus's life. Okay. So when John gives a history of the life of Jesus, He is not given the play by play. He is given, here's what happened the three years that Jesus walked around, but let me tell you about the last week of his life. Let me tell you about that. Well, guess what? When Luke wrote Acts, he, he wrote Acts and he wrote Luke while they were happening. So, he is, he is taking part in the book of Acts. He is participating in the book of Acts. And as he's participating in the book of Acts, and he's traveling around with Paul, they're running into people, and they're meeting people, and Luke is saying, Hey, 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 I'm trying to put together uh, just like an orderly play-by-play account of Jesus' life, and I heard that you were around him. Can you tell me? Da, 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 da. And then he gets that to write down the Gospel of Luke. And he's writing the Gospel of Luke. But then all of a sudden this happens, and he's like, oh man. And he writes this down, because this is going to happen in his later book, which will go on to be called the Book of Acts. So the whole Book of Acts, remember, 1 to 15, is the Holy Spirit going out, well, the, the, message, the message of Jesus going out to Jewish believers. And then Acts 15 is the turning point where the church in Jerusalem and all the people that used to be Jewish that are following Jesus and really think this is just a fulfillment of Judaism. This isn't a whole new thing. Have to reconcile. How are we going to let Gentiles in to follow Jesus and be a part of the church? Because we know Jesus wanted them in, but we just don't know how. Do they have to become? Do they have to get circumcised? Do they have to eat? Not every bacon again for the rest of their life, or or those um, well yeah, those things that day wigs that are like the little bacon cubes that are amazing, right? Can they not eat those anymore if they want to follow Jesus? So Acts fifteen, they make some rules. They meet. They realize, you know what? The Holy Spirit's being poured out on Gentiles. Remember, uh, Peter went to the household of Cornelius and he saw the basically Pentecost happened. To Gentiles. And here's Peter. You got to trust him because he's Peter. So then he comes back, tells the church. Well, all the way up until Acts 20. Paul has been traveling around on his first missionary journey and his second missionary journey. And then even he took his third missionary journey and he is out. And remember last week we talked about some of the path that they were taking. And he's heading back to Jerusalem. Jerusalem. And it looks like this is going to be the end of his last missionary journey. Well, from Acts 21 to Acts 28, the timeline is totally bonkers. We'll spend a couple chapters and we won't be able to do a chapter a week. So we're going to slow down a little bit on that too. A couple chapters will take 12 days. And then all of a sudden there'll be three verses that'll span two years. And then all of a sudden there'll be several chapters that will be the span of three months and it's just all over the place because Luke really wants us to focus in on what's going on here. So you really get the details, right? So last time Paul is leaving these people, he's traveling different places. He's like, Dude, we cannot go to Ephesus. I love those people so much. I will never get out of there. We'll just talk for days. So have them meet me at this other place. That way we'll we'll be at IHOP. We'll have to leave when they close. And then we'll move on. So that's where Acts 21 starts. When he parted from them and set sail, we came by a straight course to Kos. Then the next day to Rhodes. And from there to Patera. You can find all this on a map. It's really a cool thing to watch. And remember, they're just taking like little day sailing trips. You you would go down to the port and you would say, hey, I need a ship. I'm trying to get to Jerusalem. Oh, gosh, we're not going to Jerusalem, but I'll take you as far as Patera today. And they'd say, okay. And you'd pay your little fee. And then things would get weird. Um. I don't know if any of you are boat people or if you've spent time around boat people, but 2,000 years ago and today, boat people are really um, superstitious and they believe all kinds of other weird things like the whole breaking the champagne bottle on the front of the boat to christen it and to say, here we go, now we're going to do this. Uh, I have a friend, and he was in the Coast Guard, and when they crossed the equator, they stopped the whole boat, and they have this whole ceremony for all the guys on the ship that have never crossed the equator before, and you all, like, walk across the ship, and now you're across the equator, and they have this big party, and, like, the whole boat stops for, like, a day just to celebrate all the people who have never crossed the equator before. It's just all these things. Well, in Paul's day, it was not like flying United Airlines. You would get your boat... You would go to the boat. The guys about ready to set sail would be like, Oh, we saw three seagulls and a pelican. And that means today's a bad day to fly. Bad day to boat. So we're not leaving till tomorrow. Okay. So then you come back the next day. And they're like, okay, everything looks great. We just need to do this one little sacrifice to um, ensure that the sea gods will let us sail safely. And they would go and they'd kill their goat or their pig. And, oh, this happened. That, nope, we're not going today. Today is not a good day to go sail. It's super unpredictable. It was super pagan. Um, there were certain dates that according to the numbers of the date, oh, you would never sail on May 15th. Who, you'd have to be a madman to go sail on May They were just all kinds of stuff. So for Paul who wants to get to Jerusalem on Pentecost, he's in, he's in kind of a, a bad spot, right? Because he doesn't know how long it's going to take him to get there, but he wants to get there on a certain day. And so all these little cities, as you look at the map, these are all little day little day travels. When we had come, now listen to this. Having found a ship crossing to Phoenicia... We went aboard and set sail. Now this on the map, you are no longer, this is not a coastal ship. This sucker is going to go across the Mediterranean Sea. So they're going to be at sea at night. They're going to have to navigate by the stars, which was not, um, you know, we, we take it for granted. Navigation by the stars was th- over a thousand years after this because <laughs> they just didn't have to. I mean, flat earth. You don't have to go all the way around, right? So, is this ship might have had 300 people on it? And when you would get one of these ships, again, this is not American Airlines, you would talk to the people and you'd pay your money and you'd get on board and your being on board meant that you got to be on the deck while the ship went across the ocean. And that's it. They don't give you your food, They don't give you shelter. So people would take a tent. You would take a tent with you and kind of camp out on the deck. You would be packing all of your food along with you because you would sometimes you would even have to cook your own food on the ship on the deck. I mean, it's like renting out a camping spot, except the whole thing's moving the whole time and you hope you're going the right direction. There's other people. 300 people on a ship is a lot of people. Does this sound crazy yet? Like does this this is the circumstances that Paul is traveling under. So they find this ship that's going to sail all the way across to Phoenicia. And they went in sight of Cyprus and it was on their left and then they went to Syria and landed in Tyre. Okay, okay. You got to read this slow and just think about what's going on. Everybody's telling Paul, you're going to get arrested. You're going to be given over to the Romans. You're going to suffer. He's trying to make it. He's got maybe 10 Gentile Christians from all the cities he's been to with him. They've got a load of money that they've collected from all the churches to give to Jerusalem. He knows he's going to go to Jerusalem and go to prison or get arrested by the Romans or whatever. And as they're sailing across, over in the distance on the left, was that, port? On the port side of the boat, he sees Cyprus, the place where his first mission trip happened. This is like driving by McGarry Middle School on the way to my death sentence, right? Because every time we drive by McGarry, I say, there it is, where it all began. And the kids roll their eyes and we move on. Paul is going by Cyprus, and it's like Cyprus. Oh, gosh, I haven't been on Cyprus for forty years. I remember all those. He's going to remember the the Roman governors. He's going to remember how he got malaria so bad, and how Mark left, but now Mark's back again. Oh, he sails past that. So don't don't just blow that off. As they mentioned that that that's a big deal. They keep going. They get to tire, so now they're at least on land, on the the west, the western end. No, the eastern end of the Mediterranean Sea. They're on the eastern end of the Mediterranean Sea. They're on the western end of uh, Israel. Basically, they're close. They're getting close. They've crossed the Indiana border. They still got to drive four hours south to get to Evansville, but they've at least passed from Illinois into. Right? That's, that's how close they are on this travel. So now they can slow down. We don't have to deal with all this boat madness anymore. We can chill out. we got enough time. We're going to make it to Jerusalem by Pentecost. So they go to Tyre, they track down some disciples, and they stay there for seven days. Life of luxury all of a sudden. And the, through the Spirit, they all told Paul over and over again, Don't go to Jerusalem. Don't go. When their days were ended, we departed. We went on our journey and they all with wives and children accompanied us until we were outside the city, kneeling down on the beach. We prayed and said farewell to one another. Then we went on board the ship and they returned home again. Now they're back on the little day trip boats that are predictable. Finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived in Ptolemais, we greeted the brothers, stayed with them for one day. The next day we went to Caesarea, and we entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who is one of the seven, and stayed with him. All right, again, slow down, right? Because this is really, this is a cool, we did this adventure yesterday at home. So they go to Caesarea, and they stay with Philip, who is one of the seven. What in the world does that even mean? One of the seven what? So you flip back to Acts 6. And in Acts 6, let me not tear my Bible here. Acts 6, chapter 6, verse 1. Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, complaint by the Hellenists, these are the Greek people, arose against the Hebrews, the Jewish background people, because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. So they put all their money in common. Remember that from Acts 4? They would share everything. And when they would pass out the food, the Hebrew widows were getting more than the Gentile widows. And so there's a little racism, like a little, I mean, I don't want to use such a charged word as racism, but it is racism. They're giving more money and more food to the Hebrew moms than to the Greek moms. And they're like, what's the deal? So the 12, the apostles, the 12, summon everybody together. And they say, this isn't right. And we shouldn't give up preaching to figure out who gets food. This is ridiculous. We need an administrator. So pick out seven men of good repute, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, and we'll give them this job. They did a really awesome thing. This is, um, look, all you, all you Gentile people are complaining that you're not getting enough food. We are going to put you in charge of this because we want to show you that you're important. This is, this is a brilliant move because they're the ones getting oppressed. And so they put all the people that were getting oppressed in charge of it. And now you guys aren't going to complain anymore because you're the ones deciding who gets what. And so they pick um, full of the some people full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom who we will appoint. We will devote ourselves to prayer. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. Right? Remember Stephen? He would get be the first christian martyr in act 7 and philip one of the seven is philip so they picked a guy named philip who was a greek who had become a christian to help make sure all the greek widows got their food this is the philip you guys Philip would go on up to Samaria and he would preach to the Samaritans. One of the first people to ever preach to the Samaritans after Jesus. He would go down and talk to the Ethiopian eunuch that was riding along on the road, reading Isaiah, who said, how can I understand this unless somebody explains it to me? And Philip explained it to him and possibly unleashed the first New Testament evangelist loose on Africa. By sending that Ethiopian. So he baptizes the Ethiopian. And then it says he disappeared. He went to a city called Azotus. And he preached all around from Azotus up to Caesarea. That was all in Acts 6 and 7. I don't know. Maybe all the way to 9. And then all of a sudden in Acts 21... Paul is on his way to Jerusalem and he stops in Caesarea at the home of Philip. So this is a guy, do you remember who held the coats while they killed Stephen? Paul. And so Philip may have been there, was probably there when Stephen was killed, probably saw them putting their coats at young Saul's feet and is now welcoming old man Paul, same guy, into his house. Isn't that awesome? This is what the, the gospel does. It it unifies us over things that we can forgive. We can forgive what somebody did 40 years ago. That, just think that through. 40 years ago, this man cost Philip one of his best friend's lives. Because Philip and and Stephen knew each other. They were probably from the same synagogue. They probably grew up together as Greeks in a Greek synagogue in Jerusalem that was the same one that Paul grew up in. And they became Christians. And here's Saul sticking with it, sticking with Judaism, watching supervising Stephen get killed. And Philip welcomes him into his house years later. Wow. So they go and they stay. We entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who's one of the seven, and we stayed with him. He slept in their house, you guys. How many, how many, how much bitterness, how much? hatred do we have for things that happened 10, 15 years ago that weren't nearly at the magnitude of Stephen getting killed? And here's Philip letting Paul sleep on his couch. When there's 10 Gentile guests, right? Wow. Philip, then we get this cool little bio about Philip. Whatever happened to him after the Ethiopian? He has four unmarried daughters who prophesied. (laughs) Just awesome Uh, church tradition has it that one of them did end up getting married that they're not being married didn't have anything to do with them being prophets there's this whole controversy over that, whatever but I think it's so cool in questions of, um, remember Paul talking about should women speak in the church and women should be quiet and his instructions to them how would anybody know that these four daughters prophesied if they weren't allowed to ever talk And yet we know they prophesied while they're staying for many days. Oh, no, they didn't just spend the night at Philip's house. They stayed for days in Caesarea long enough for a prophet named Agabus to come on down from Judea. So Agabus is in Judea and he's like, however, prophets know these things. I'm going to go talk to Paul. He's down in Caesarea. He goes down. Agabus has been mentioned before too. Agabus is not a new guy. We're not going to go there. But Agabus has already shown up to prophesy about the famine in Jerusalem. And he said there's going to be this big famine in Jerusalem and in all the land. And you should all prepare for it. And that is exactly why Paul has an offering of all of this money to come back to Jerusalem to support the church in Jerusalem. So Agabus is also coming back into the story. So Agabus, he's a little crazy. He's a little bit like Elijah, Old Testament prophet. And he takes Paul's belt. (laughs) He bound his own feet and his own hands with Paul's belt. Yeah. You got to be like, okay, this is Agabus. He's right. Like when he says the Lord says stuff, we believe him, but he's... He's also a little weird. Took Paul's belt, bound his own feet and his hands. And he said, thus says the Holy Spirit. This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, what are you doing? Weeping and breaking my heart. I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Since he would not be persuaded, we ceased. And he said, let the Lord's will be done. In all of this stuff, the Holy Spirit is saying, you're going to get arrested. You're going to get arrested. You're going to get turned over. Nowhere does the Holy Spirit say, don't go. The whole time, Paul has been told, the day, you guys, the day Paul got saved and Jesus spoke to him, said, why are you persecuting me? He said, Jesus said, I will show him how much he has to suffer for my name. For the apostle Paul to be a Christian meant I am signing up to suffer and it's worth it. It's not going to stop me. It's not even going to take my joy away. It's not even going to take my hope away. But suffering is going to be part of my vocation and my lifestyle. And so he says to them, You guys, you're breaking my heart. I am going to Jerusalem. We are going to do this. I know I'm going to suffer. I trust you, Agabus. I'm not not believing you. You are a prophet of God and you're awesome, dude. Give me back my belt. I'm going to Jerusalem. And so they go. After these days, they got ready. They went up to Jerusalem. <gasps> Some disciples from Caesarea went with us, bringing us to the house of Manassan of Cyprus, an early disciple with whom we should lodge. I love this. Manassan from Cyprus. Who else was from Cyprus? Barnabas was from Cyprus. Manassan. this is just on the outskirts of, of Jerusalem. He may have been... Do you remember um, Stephen, no, Simon, that carried the cross of Jesus that was from uh, somewhere in Egypt? And all these missionaries from Egypt and from Cyprus went over to Antioch to start a church? Manassan is probably one of them. And so you've got just this whole thing that plays out. It, it is just like a movie. Paul is on his way back going to Jerusalem to get arrested. And it's like all these cameo appearances from all the people back in episode one and episode two are showing up and popping up in the story. And he's getting to see them and getting to talk to them again before it's all done. The other cool thing is that Luke is writing all this stuff down and he's like, whoa, 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 whoa. You knew Barnabas? You knew the Barnabas? Okay, tell me about how all that went. And then Luke can fill in his whole story that he's writing down. When we came to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. On the following day, Paul went with us to James and all the elders were present. Oh, man, this is like Acts 15, Council of Jerusalem. Everybody's together again. Yes. Paul relates to them one by one, all the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. They have not heard from Paul there they may have been letters they may have heard rumors you know as people travel back and forth for different feast days and different things but now they get to see him and they get to hear all the stuff we've been talking about in acts 5 from acts 15 all the way to acts 20 where Paul has been this is probably um, the letter to the Ephesians first and second Corinthians uh Corinthians 1 and a half that we don't have a copy of. Numerous letters have all happened in this time. All kinds of miracles. People have been raised from the dead. And the gospel has been thrown way open to the Gentile world. That it is not just bottled in God's chosen people in Israel, in Jerusalem. But it's gone worldwide. Tells them everything. Oh, they glorified God. They said to him, Brother, there are so many thousands here among the Jews who believe in Jesus. Here in Jerusalem, there are thousands of believers. Wow. Some estimates put this number in the hundreds of thousands. Because why? Because it's almost Pentecost and everybody's traveling from out of town to come to Jerusalem. So it's going to be packed so many people here he's come. He's like, look, a whole bunch of them think that you've been telling everybody that Moses doesn't matter anymore, that nobody has to follow the law and the temple's worthless. And we know that's not true. So we need to make all these tens of thousands of Jewish Christians here accept you and realize you aren't a bad guy, okay? Can we can we work this out? To, can we really show them that you don't hate Jews, but that that this is just part of the whole thing? Is anybody else in here nervous? Like, just that, like, the ice just got a whole lot thinner of whatever we're walking on here. You're telling them not to circumcise their children, or to walk on our customs, what should be done? They will certainly hear that you have come. This is the same guy that said, circumcision's is worthless, all that matters is, right? Oh dear. Listen, we have four men who are under a vow. Take these men, purify yourself along with them, and pay their expenses so they can shave their heads. This is not just paying for a haircut. Remember, Paul did the Nazarite vow. You commit yourself for 30 days and you shave your head. We got four guys that are at the end of this. And we want you to pay for them to finish it all and take them all through it. Okay, the other thing you got to remember, Paul is like rock star of the Jewish world before he became a Christian. He was like like the Justin Bieber of Judaism because everybody knew who he was. He was taught by the best instructor. It was like, if you could listen to the Apostle Paul talk. When Apostle Paul, when Saul shows up in Cyprus, they're like, you're Saul. What do you have to tell us? Teach us something. He's like, let me tell you about Jesus. So if you could get Saul, Paul, to take you to the temple to fulfill your vow, that would be like the most Jewish thing ever, right? So will you do that, Paul? Will you pay for these guys? All right, just to refresh your memory, we're gonna make a quick dash to Numbers 6 because we can. Numbers 6, verse 13, this is the law for the Nazarite. When the time of separation has been completed, here's what Paul has to pay for. Remember, there's four guys. We want you to purify yourself. So you got to get the haircut. And we want you to pay for these guys. When the time is complete, they'll bring to the entrance his gift to the Lord. One male lamb a year old without blemish for a burnt offering. One ewe lamb a year old without blemish as a sin offering. One ram without blemish as a peace offering. So you got a boy sheep, a girl sheep and a boy goat. You've already had to pay. One of those could feed 10 people. So just think about uh, a Culver's order for 10. How much that would cost? That's one sheep. So he has to bring a sheep, another sheep, and a goat. Like Culver's just shut down, right? The school bus just showed up. Forget it. We're not taking any more orders for the next three hours. And a basket of unleavened bread... And loaves of fine flour mixed with oil and unleavened wafers smeared with oil and their grain offering and their drink offerings. This is super expensive. And so they're basically saying to Paul. Is is Judaism obsolete? Is Moses and the law worthless? And Paul says, no. No. And then they say, put your money where your mouth is and pay for these four guys, by three different, no, 12 different livestocks, right? All this bread, all this oil, all this grain, and take it yourself into the temple to be offered as a sacrifice. Now, I don't think James had a plan to catch Paul. I don't think there's any evil in this at all. I I think James was genuine and he just really wanted to show everybody Paul is awesome and you can all accept him and look at how awesome he is. He'll pay for all this. But we all know everything Paul's been preaching and we know Through all of it, he has never told the Jewish people that they had to stop being Jewish. Because remember when he had all his Gentile buddies and he sent them on ahead and he stayed behind and celebrated the Passover in a Jewish town with his Jewish friends he did the Jewish thing? So he's not against Judaism, but he's just saying it's not necessary for Gentiles. And so he comes into town with all of these Gentiles. He's got an entourage of Gentiles all around him. Everybody sees him. Everybody knows that is Paul from Tarsus. And look at all those Gentiles with him. Wow. And they would obviously, like racial differences, look like Gentiles. They would look different than Jewish people. And James says, look, shave your head. Go in with these four guys that have shaved heads and help them fulfill their Nazarite vow. It's really fun. We don't know how he paid for this. He could have paid for it with the offering that all those Gentile guys brought to Jerusalem to help support the church. It may have been that money. It may have also been his own money from building tents. We don't know. And so he says, I'll do it. That's fine. This is a great line. Thus all will know that there is nothing in what they have been told about you, but that you yourself also live in observance of the law. As for the Gentiles who have believed, we have sent a letter with our judgment. And then he basically recaps Acts 15. We send a letter. Gentiles can join the church. They just can't eat blood and do all these other things. In one of Paul's letters, he says... To the Jews I became like a Jew, to the Gentiles I became like a Gentile, just so I could save one. Paul was not afraid to give up his own identity to help somebody meet Jesus. He wasn't stubborn. Well, I'm not going to do that. He could have totally done that here. He could have totally done, I'm not, I'm not going and doing that sacrifice stuff. It's kind of fun that he's already done a Nazarite vow. And we already talked about that a couple weeks ago where he can be like, James, I just did a Nazarite vow four months ago. This is perfect. I know exactly how this goes. I'd be happy to do it. And so they did it. We're going to stop. We're not going to go on because I I want you to feel the suspense and I want you to feel the, the fear that Paul knows he is going to get arrested. He knows he's going to be given over to the Romans. But at the same time, because James has asked him, he is going to march into the belly of the beast at the temple in Jerusalem. Because to fulfill this vow, remember how we've talked about the temple before? There's the court of the Gentiles. That was the big old outer area where Jesus kicked all the tables over. And if you're a Gentile, you are welcome to worship Yahweh there. And then there's a door, a little big gate, and you go through that, and now you're in the court of men. And this is only Jewish men, not Gentile men, not Gentile men who have started following Jesus, just Jewish men. And there's a sign on the wall that says, if you come in here and you're not a Jewish man, your death is your own fault. How's that for a warning sign? It's your own fault you came in here, We just had to kill you because we had to kill you. So in order to fulfill this Nazarite vow, you have to go into the court of the Jewish men. You have to go all the way up to the edge of the court of the Jewish men to the line where it's the court of the Levites. And at that line is where you give your offerings and you give all your sheep. So do you think Paul with four shaved-headed guys on Pentecost when it is just like the middle of the Wednesday night of the fall festival. I mean, just huge, crowded, tens of thousands of people in town. And each one of these guys is pulling along a goat and two sheep and a big old basket of bread and a bunch of oil. They're going to draw some attention to themselves, aren't they? And that is where we're going to start next week. The fearless, bold, confident Paul, giving up so many of his own rights just to show people Jesus. All right, let's pray. Lord, you are so holy and so awesome, and we would gladly. Lord, oh, a little extra oxygen for us there. Lord, we would gladly go through anything to bring you glory. We would gladly go to any place and endure any discomfort to bring honor and power to your name. And I pray that just as Paul was inspired by you and your Holy Spirit, that we would be inspired by your Holy Spirit this week to go places that might be uncomfortable and to show off your glory to all people. We love you and we praise you, Lord. Amen. All right. Let's stand and sing number 297 together.